Parshas Vayakel Pekude. We're at page 516. Uh, it's usually for Parshas Vayakel Pekude uh, where rabbis begin to give shurim about Pesach because Vayakel Pekude is essentially a repetition of Terumat Tzave. I wouldn't say it's word for word, but if you look if you flick through the pages, you'll see there's very, very little Rashi. If you turn to page 520, you'll see there's just there's a long page of Chumash. And then on page 521, there's a tiny bit of Rashi. Go to the next page, there's no Rashi at all. Go to the next page, there's one line of Rashi. It's almost nothing to say. Or so it would seem on Vayaka Pekude that hasn't already been said. Uh, in Parshas uh, Turuma and Tetzave. And therefore, you know, rabbis are looking, desperately seeking some other material that they can use, particularly if they give a weekly shear. I'm uh, lucky enough to have found a few bits and pieces which I can share with you, which I think are worthwhile. Um, and we're going to focus on right at the beginning of Parshas Vayakel. And if we get there, right at the end, of um, Parshas Bikude. So the beginning of Vayakel, even before we begin the construction of the Mishkan, the Mishkan is this incredible new focus for the Jewish people. They've come out of Egypt, they've received the Torah, whether the Luchas broke in the middle of the instruction or before the instruction, it beca- it's not so important anymore. What's important is that the Jewish nation has as a central focus for its activities a holy place, a temple. And in fact, for the first one and a half thousand years of Jewish life, a little bit more, Jews had as the main focus of their religious worship a temple. And whether that temple was in the wilderness or it was in this place or that during its peripatetic years, or whether, as it ended up in Yerushalayim, besides for a, a break in the middle, it became the central focus. It's where sacrifices were brought. It's where religious leaders were chosen, where they were anointed kings. Everything of great significance happened in the temple. And the Mishkan is the... Is the uh, very first, the progenitor of that temple idea. And now it's about to be put together. So in the first instance, all the instructions that Moshe received are now going to actually come into actuality. They're going to, you know, make the bits and pieces. And then eventually at the end of Pekude, they're going to construct the Mishkan. They're going to put it up. They're going to erect this building and, you know, it's, it's going to be like a, a Lego set. All the, all the various bits and pieces that slot into each other are going to be slotted into each other, and the Mishkan is going to be built. But before that happens, we have here in the first few psukim um, a gathering, a gathering of Moshe and Kol Adat Bnei Israel. Vayakel Moshe Kol Adat Israel. He congregated the entire 
um, congregation of Israel. And he said to them, These are the things that God has commanded you to create. These are the things that he's told me about that he wants you to create. How would you think that the psukim should now continue? They should continue with, look at Pasukei. Kechum me'itchem turumah l'ashem. Right? Take for you, from what you have a gift for God. Kol nadiv libo, according to the desires of your heart. Yuviel, that's what you should bring. A trumat Hashem, zahava chesef unachoshet. And then begins the list of all the things that they should bring. There's a whole bunch of psukim in between. So what are they doing there? So let's look at what they what they are. So rather than la'asot otam, meaning to create, la'asot otam means to be, must mean something else. So it's not to create. This is not about the formation of those uh, components of the Mishkan. This is something else completely. This is something we have to do. Sheishet yamim te'osem alacha uvayom ha-shavi'i yelachem kodesh shabbat shabbaton l'ashem kol ha-osevo melacha yumat. Six days you will do work, melacha, whatever that means. Melacha, work of some sort. Uvayom ha-shavi'i and on the seventh day yelachem Kodesh, it's going to be a Kodesh day. Holy, we use that, we usually translate the word to mean holy. Um, Kodesh actually means separate, right? It's going to be different than the rest of the week. Shabbat Shabbaton, Lashem, a day of rest and communion with God. Anyone who does a Melacha on that day is going to die. Lo sevaru esh bechomoshvotechem beyom hashabbat. Do not um, kindle any fire in all of your dwellings beyom hashabbat on Shabbat. So this has got nothing to do with the Mishkan, right? I mean, for all intents and purposes, this instruction about Shabbat. It's got nothing to do with with the Mishkan. And then. On Pasuk Dalet, now we begin. He's got them all there. And he says, this is what he says to them. This is what God commanded you to do. And he goes on to give the instruction about the construction of the Mishkan. So we have three Pasukim, which are interposed here, which have got nothing whatsoever to do with the content of the Parsha, of the Parshiyot. Nothing. <coughs> And what's particularly curious is that this is hardly the first time that the Jewish people have heard about Shabbat, right? I mean, the Aseret Hadibrot, last week we had a whole piece in there, remember? Vashamru Vene Yisrael at Shabbat. And now we mention Shabbat again. So why are we talking about Shabbat? So, I didn't put it, I don't think I put it in the, uh, in the sources. But look at Rashi, Pasuk Base. 
It's the third line of Rashi on page 516. Before he began to give them instructions of how to construct the Mishkan, Moshe Rabbeinu gave them the commandments of Shabbat. He repeated the commandments of Shabbat to them, Lomar, to inform them, that the construction of the Mishkan will not push aside Shabbat. In other words, when it comes to the construction of the Mishkan, on Friday afternoon, put down your tools until Saturday night. That is what we're going to focus on a little bit right now. What this is all about, why the Mishkan somehow has this restriction of not um, allow, you're not allowed to construct anything for it on Shabbat. Let's look at the first, the very first source that I put in there. Number one is the Orachaim. Dorachaim, I told you, was one of the great scholars of Bible commentary, one of the most advanced, lived several hundred years ago. Um, he often has very long pieces, but they are profound, and he never wastes a word, and he never wastes an idea, and he expounds on things beautifully. Uh, and to the extent that I can, I love to include him. Often it's difficult because his pieces are long and they, everything interplays with everything else. So you can have a piece which is made up of multiple sections and it's hard to cut them down. But this is a very, very nice piece. And it, he dealing with, he's dealing with a very interesting and intriguing question. In relation to Shabbat, is it important that we work during the week. Imagine I didn't want to work for six days and I also kept Shabbat. Does that diminish my Shabbat? Imagine Sunday through Friday, I sit with my feet up next to the swimming pool. And on Shabbat, I have Shabbat. Is that got a, is one thing got anything to do with the other? No, it wouldn't seem like it, right? In which case, we have a puzzle here in the Pasuk. It says, Sheshet Yamim, who cares? What's that got to do with, any, with anything? It should just say, it should say, What's that got to do with anything? Says the Orachaim, Why are we even mentioning this concept? of working during the week. The six days of the week, we all have, we all work. Okay, so we work, big deal. What's it got to do with Shabbat? Ulai, he gives, he, he gives a number of different insights, of, of brilliant ideas to explain the inclusion of this phrase, Sheshet Yamim Te'asemelacha. Ulai, he says, perhaps, Sheyichavin Lomar, he, his intention is to tell them, She'im yom zayin kodesh yamim. If you genuinely want the seventh day of the week to be a holy day, 
make sure you do what you need to do on the other six days of the week. Otherwise, you're going to be completely consumed by that which you haven't done on your day of rest and you're not going to be able to do it. The only way that you can ensure, unfortunately, the human condition is such that we are not able to put up our feet and sit endlessly next to the swimming pool every day of every week. There are things that we need to do in order just to go through life and get through life. Whatever those things are, whether they are paying your bills, doctor's appointments, attending meetings for work, you know, going to the bank, whatever it is that you need to do, don't ignore it on those six days of the week. Make sure that they get done and done thoroughly and properly on the six days of the week in order that when it comes to Shabbat, that that 25 hour space of time can be completely dedicated to Shabbat, Shabbaton, Lashem. That's his first idea. Or, or perhaps, Oi says it's possible that what the Pasuk is telling you with this phrase is that you're not allowed, let's say, okay, I'm not going to do any malachot on Shabbat, but I've got someone else to do malachot for me. I've got, I've got a store and I want to keep the store open. So I'm, I'm not going to the store, but somebody's there working for me to make sure that the store is open and that the sales are happening. Or I have, uh, you know, I'm not going to, uh, give myself a haircut, but it's okay. I'll go to the the uh, barber shop, and the barber will give me a haircut. He can do the malacha for me. And that's why the pasuk says third line: Sheishet yamim te'aseh b'tzeire te'aseh tachat hataf. Not ta'aseh perush. In other words, Te'aseh is to tell you in this, during the six days of the week, you can do Malacha and you can have others Te'aseh Malacha. They can do Malacha for you. But when it comes to Shabbat, none of that is permitted. Neither you nor your worker are permitted to do the work that you would normally do during the week in order to go about your daily life. That's another idea that he proposes. V'tam omra sheshet v'lo b'sheshet. He gives a very interesting insight here into the missing base. It could have said, b'sheshes yomim, in or on during the six days of the week you will do malacha because right the same thing if it was exactly parallel what it would say is right kodesh but it's not what it says. It says, Sheishet yamim uvayom hashvi'i. So there's, there's a disparity here. He says, why is there that disparity? Continues, Kedei shelo titae 
כי יש מצווה בעשיית מלאכה בהם. Don't ever dream that there is a holy commandment in the Torah that you have to work for six days of the week. That's not the point of Shabbat. Shabbat is not a day of rest and six days of the week are when you have to work. No. Work is the thing that you need to do, not because God commanded you to. That is the thing that you need to do in order to give you that space of time which God has commanded you to devote to Him. In other words, it's, it's a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. Not we have two commandments here. Sheishet yamin te'asem alacha and vayom hashvi'i, you're going to keep Shabbos? No. Sheishet yamin te'asem alacha is in order that vayom hashvi'i, you're going to keep Shabbat and it's going to be a holy day. And one final thing. Od Yirmoz. It's also hinted in this Pasuk. Ki lo yakumu sheishet yamim b'melachtam asherichinam Hashem la'asot ela im yom ha-shvi'i yelachem kodesh. If you look at the construction of the Pasuk, sheishet yamim te'asem alacha uvayom ha-shvi'i yelachem kodesh is conditional. One is contingent on the other. In other words, Aval im lo yishmeru Shabbat. If you do not keep the Shabbat, lo yiyu hasheshet yamim, you will not have the success of those six days. Ki Shabbat hu nefesh kiyum ha'olam. An incredible, fascinating insight. The backbone of the world, and therefore of every day of the week, is Shabbat. If somehow your Shabbat is deficient, then the six days of the week will be deficient. You will not have the success that you desire and that you seek in your life, both in terms of your relationships with fellow man and in your relationship with God, unless you observe Shabbat, and Shabbat is a meaningful day in your life. One is contingent on the other, could quite have easily have skipped Sheshet Yamim, Te'asem and just launched straight into Shabbos. The reason why Shabbos and six days are interplayed with each other is because this interplay exists. Shabbat is the backbone of who you are, and therefore don't think it's some separate entity to the rest of the week. One has to do with the other. We're going to move on now to a very interesting historical debate. Um, you know, of course, that during the time of the Second Beit HaMikdash, there were different sects of Jews, and the most famous of whom were the Tzidukim and the Pirushim, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And from what we understand from Josephus and others, the Sadducees clung tenaciously to the exact meaning of the text of the Torah and the way they interpreted, they're also called Baisusim by the way in the Mishnah, the way they interpreted the Torah was literally whatever the Pasuk said, that's what they kept. The Sadducees. The Pirushim, the Pirushim had an interesting um, historical background and we are descended from the Purushim, 
And their background was that none of the Torah could be taken at face value. The whole purpose of the Torah was it was given in a cryptic, enigmatic form. In order for it to be interpreted, some of that interpretation having been given to us at Har Sinai, and also at Har Sinai was given to us a methodology by which we could interpret the words of the Torah in order so that we could extract laws out of it as time evolved. That was how the Torah was given. And the Pirushim had a much more um, flexible approach to the way that the Torah could be interpreted. The Tzedukim died out with the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. The Pirushim continued, constructed the Mishnah, the Talmud, and we are the spiritual heirs to the, um, to the legacy of the Purushim of the Pharisees. During medieval times, the years 800s, 900s, etc., there arose a sect of Jews called the Karaites. The Karaites still exist, actually. There are groups of Karaites, and they survived in quite significant numbers well into the 20th century. Um, I believe that there's a community of Karaites today in Israel. And the Karaites aped the Sadducees. They re-energized this idea of the literal interpretation of the Torah. One very good example is right here in the first three psukim of our parsha. So the final Pasuk, Pasuk Gimel, of this little piece, is You should not kindle light in any of your dwellings on the day of Shabbos. What does that mean? So as far as we understand it, it means that on Shabbat you cannot take a match and strike it and light a fire. That's the way we understand it. However, they understood it differently. They said, no, le savaru eish means that you are not permitted to have a fire, a light, in your house on Shabbat. And they'd sit entire Shabbat in darkness. No Shabbos candles, forget hot food, no, nothing. There was no fire whatsoever. In fact, the Karaites today observe this um, diligently. They will not have fire in their homes on Shabbat. The greatest um, defender of Pharisaic Judaism, our version of Judaism, against the Karaites in medieval times was uh, a man called Rabbi Sadia Goen. Gaon. Sadia Gaon. Okay, he was the exilarch. Um, and he was an incredible genius, and he wrote a number of works, some in Arabic and some in Hebrew, and he fought against the Karaites. They were very, very powerful as a community, so-called Jewish community, at that time in Bavel, and he fought against them. And we're now going to look, 100 or 200 years later, at a debate between a Karaite and Ibn Ezra about this exact point. It's not just interesting, it's hilarious. Because Ibn Ezra ran circles around this Karaite. He was clearly much more 
a much greater scholar than the Karaite. Although the Karaite was fairly knowledgeable, Ibn Ezra had a much sharper mind. So this, I don't know if you know this, there's two versions of Ibn Ezra. There's the Ibn Ezra that we all find in a normal Chumash, and then there's the Ibn Ezra short um, parish, which is actually longer. I don't know why it's called the shorter parish. Very often the pieces are much longer. So the first bit of Ibn Ezra here is taken from the ordinary Ibn Ezra you find in the Chumash, and the second is taken from the Perish Akhtar, which is the which is the so-called shorter version, but as you can see here, it's fairly long. Let's have a look. You may not kindle light in any of your dwellings on Shabbat day. Ba'avur, why should that be? So, um, when we discussed, um, I believe in Mishpatim, about the laws of Yom Tov, right? If you recall, one of the things we said was that Pesach has a first day and a seventh day, and Komalacha Le'ya'asevahem, you're not allowed to do any melacha, so that's a very similar language to the language we've just used about uh, about Shabbat. You're not allowed to do any melachas on Shabbos. Lahatir ochel nefesh, but in that pasuk, in that version, in that particular commandment, we know that it means that you're still permitted to light a fire to cook on Yom Tov, right? On the first day of Pesach, you're allowed to light a fire. In order to do cooking, you can light a fire. But you're not allowed to light a fire on Shabbos. Amar Atta b'Shabbat lo tevaru eish la'afod lechem u'levashel basar ki ha'esh tzorech lechol ma'achal So here, specifically identified as a prohibition on Shabbat is the lighting of a fire for the sake of cooking and actually for anything else. But you might think that because when we said it last time with a discussion about Pesach, you were permitted to light a fire for cooking, that perhaps on Shabbat you could also light a fire for cooking. So uh, specifically excluded, as opposed to all the other malachot, is lighting a fire. And that's why it's mentioned here, because this is the first time that this concept is mentioned, the malacha concept is mentioned. and in that context, we're going to mention that you can't light a fire. And Rabbi Sadia Gaon wrote a beautiful book to Shuvot Al-Cholkim Al-Kadmoneinu Al-Ner Shabbat, which refutes all those who oppose the idea of lighting Nerot Shabbat because they say that this pasuk is to tell you you're not allowed to have a fire on Shabbat. Rabbi Sadia Gon wrote a long book about it, he says, and um, it's worth looking, it's worth delving into that book if you want to have uh, the response to those who say that this actually means you're not allowed to have a fire on Shabbat. Yes? I read a commentary that the reason the word malacha is used instead of avodah is so, because you're not allowed to start work some, start something new. And that's why they're putting the fire, because the fire is creating, creating yes. totally new as opposed to working you know, with something that already exists. Yeah, but that's a very good refutation to a Karite. I mean, it, it, in other words, melacha um, is the, the point of not doing anything on Shabbat, which is an echo of what 
God did on the so-called, on the Shabbat of that seventh day of creation, is God stopped being creative. It's a day of reflection. And by beginning something or starting something, initiating something on Shabbat, you are somehow subverting the whole concept of Shabbat. Whereas on Chag, we don't have that. The reason we don't do Malacha on Chag is because it's, it's a day of communion with God. It's a day of celebration. It's got nothing to do with the first Shabbat of creation. And you're absolutely right. The word Malacha has to do with that. Whereas if you wanted to carry a sack of potatoes up and down the stairs 52 times in your house, you'd be perfectly entitled to do that. But that would be called Avodah. It wouldn't be called Malacha because you're not doing anything that changes the status of those potatoes. No. No, it doesn't mean work. Correct, because what is work about having a handkerchief in your pocket and walking in the street? Right, and also how does and how does Malacha relate to the Mishnah? In other words, our definition of Malacha. So all the thirty-nine Malachot actually are derived from the work of the Mishkan. We don't have a definitive list of Malachot, of Shabbat, until the seventh chapter of the Mishnah, of, of Shabbos. That was written some 2,000 years, you know, after this, after this uh, um, commandment was given. But we know, just because that's what uh, it is evident from that list, that everything that is on that list relates to the creativity the creative part of the Mishkan. You're not allowed to sew, you're not allowed to weave, you're not allowed to light a fire, you're not allowed to um, um, erect something, build something. These are all things which relate to the Mishkan. All the different Malachot relate to the Mishkan. This is actually the source of the Malachot of Shabbat. And again, the idea is that you're taking something, yesh me'ayin, it's called in Hebrew, you're making something out of nothing. Everything that you do on Shabbat, which is making something out of nothing, that would be considered uh, a transgression of the of the prohibition of malacha. It didn't have to. Didn't it have to be malacha that was on the Mishkan? Yes. If it wasn't on the Mishkan, then it's not. Correct. That is exactly right. Let's now look at the next piece of Ibn Ezra. Hilarious. So he begins again by saying that um, God should shower um, great merit and reward to Reb Sadiagon for having um, created all the answers, tremendous answers and responses and refutations to the Sadducees, the Karaites, who forbid having any kind of light on Shabbat. And now he begins a tale about his own refutation. Once I had the opportunity of spending a bit of time with one of these Karaites. He said, you know what? I'm going to fight you on your own territory. What is, what is the basis that we say that you can have Neirot Shabbat? What is the basis that we say that we can? No, Kabbalah means, Kabbalah means that we have a, a tradition, we have a Masorah, we have um, given down to us generation by generation 
that we know we're permitted to use fire on Shabbos. If we cook a cholent on Shabbos, right, it's bubbling away when we take it, we take it out of the crock pot. There's nothing wrong with that. We know we're permitted to use that kind of heat on Shabbat. We know that we can have, if we're cold, and there's a fire on our Shabbat, we know we're allowed to do it. We know that we have Nerot Shabbat on our Shabbos table. We know that we're allowed to do it. How do we know that? Because for thousands of years, that's what the Jews have done. He says, but you know what? He says Ibn Ezra to this Karaite, I'm willing to concede to you that we're not going to argue on the basis of my tradition versus your rejection of my tradition. You're saying it's only about the literal interpretation of the words of the Torah. I'm going to fight you on your territory. And I'm going to prove to you from the literal words of the Torah that you are wrong and we are right. Okay, so he set the rules of the match. We're only going to go by the literal tra- translation of the words of the Torah. Al Samach. Oh, he became very happy. And uh, I asked him, saying, I said to him, Who, where does it say that is it forbidden to have um, uh, um, light on the nights of Shabbat after the um, sun has set? Where do you get your evidence from in the Pasuk? Give me that pasuk. So he brings the pasuk from this week's parsha. Azana, he answered. Vamarani said, Lot to varuesh. It says it here in this week's parsha. You're not allowed to have a lit fire in your house. Or so that's the way he translated it. Gamanianiti. So I answered him. Says Ibn Ezra. Ki akatuv lo hiskir ki im hayom. Look at what it says. Look at the pasuk. Lot to varuesh bechol moshvetichem beyom hashabbat. So how do you know you can't have it at night? You're saying you're not allowed to have even at night of Shabbat, right? A 25-hour period. So this week, for example, Shabbos is coming in at, I don't know, 6.30 something, right? Why can't we have, according to the Karaite interpretation of this Pasuk, why can't we have a light on Shabbat, under a fire? Because it doesn't apply until Yom. When's Yom? When the sun rises the next day. So... And similarly, we have the word Yom used. So now he's using a literal interpretation. What is the Pasuk that teaches us about the um, uh, um, giving of a Brit Milah? It says, Have you ever been to a Brit Milah at night? Anyone here been to a Brit Milah at night? You know why? You're not allowed to have a Brit Milah at night. Only in the daytime. Well, they would certainly not have because it says over Yom Hashmini. They would certainly not have had it in the night. Okay, it says over Yom Hashmini. So now he's confused him because he's given him a textual proof that the word Yom means the light of day, not night. In which case, even according to your own argument, Mr. Karaite, you should allow the lighting of fire or a fire to be a light in your house in the night time. Why do you have to sit in the darkness and be an idiot? Az-Anna. So he answered me, Vayhi Erev Vayivoker Yom Echad. Ha 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 ha. He goes back to Bereshis. What does it say? With the end of every day of creation, it says, Vayhi Erev, nighttime, Vayivoker, morning. What's the word that's used? Yom. 
Echad. Yom Sheni, which means that the word day, Yom, goes both on the night and on the day. Shneem Nikru Yom, Vaha'erev Kodem Haboker. He says, listen, Mr. Ibn Ezra, what are you talking about? I know better than you. I'm going to prove to you from the text. The text says, so therefore, when it says, it means also in the night. I was not to be outdone, says Ibn Ezra, and I answered him. Doesn't make any sense what you're saying. Your response doesn't make any sense. God called to the light part of the day, Yom, daytime. Okay? And then what's the, how's the Pasuk continue? Right? But the day is called light time. Are you going to say that God didn't get it right? That actually it should have been Choshech and or should have been called Yom? You're going to second guess God? What are you talking about, Karaite? You don't know what you're saying. You used a proof from Bereshis to prove that daytime is night and day, but God himself says differently. God says night is night and day is day. Um, as Heishiv, so he answered me, Me'erev ad erev tishpetu shabbatchem. So he says, you know what, Ibn Ezra, I agree with you that normally day means light. But we have a textual proof from the Torah to tell you that when it comes to Shabbat, it applies not only to the daytime hours, but also to the previous night. Why? Because the Pasuk says in Vayikra, May Erev ad Erev, from evening until the following evening, Tishpetu Shabbatchem, that's when you should have Shabbos. So I answered the Karaite and I said, Ha ha ha, don't you give me that. That Pasuk is only referring to Yom Kippur. So if you're going to go with the you're not allowed to have any light in your home, fire in your home thing, perhaps that would apply to Yom Kippur if you're following the literal interpretation of the text. But it doesn't apply to Shabbat. He says, and I've got a proof, a textual proof that it doesn't apply to every Shabbat. Because it says, Shabbat Chem, your Shabbat, not your Shabbos, not all your Shabbos, your Shabbat, this specific Shabbat referring to Yom Kippur is Me'erev Ad Erev. Because we know that the word, when we talk about Shabbat in terms of the Jewish people, it's always spoken about in the plural, right? And yet here, this Pasuk about Yom Kippur is spoken about only in the singular. What, what does that mean, says Ibn Ezra? That the Me'erev Aderev only applies to Yom Kippur. Va'od, ki Shabbat lo tikra Shabbat chem. What are you talking about? You don't even know what you're saying, Karaite. Because Shabbos is never referred to as your Shabbos. Whose Shabbos is it? Who does Shabbos belong to? Who is the, the one who presides over Shabbos? God. Look at the Pasuk in this week's parasha. 
Look at the fourth line. Shabbaton Lashem. Right? Shabbat is never Shabbat Chem. It's not our Shabbat. Shabbat is a unique thing that belongs specifically to God. He created it. Shabbat Hashem. Rak Yom Kippurim Only Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Chem. Shabbat Shabbaton Hilachem. Shabbat Lashem. Arich. He doesn't. He doesn't want to. Um, have a lengthy discussion about it. Okay. The Karaite was very confused and probably quite upset and he stormed off. And obviously he went back, he licked his wounds and he came back and now suddenly he has a new um, thing to throw at me, says Ibn Ezra. He says, it says about Pesach, you're not allowed to eat chametz from the first day until the seventh day. What's the implication of that question? That we know on the night of Seder night, you're not allowed to eat chametz, right? So what does that mean? That when it says Yom in that context, it means nighttime as well. Because it doesn't say Laila, it says... Um, and you know you're not allowed to eat chametz on the first night of Pesach. Again, another pasuk to prove it. But the Ibn Ezra wasn't impressed. It says the Bakorum Pesach has to eat and be eaten in a day. That you have to finish it by midnight, right? We know that it has to be eaten in the day. He says, you know, if you're going to give me proofs, I can give you better proofs than your own proofs. But you're not proving anything. In other words, it's there to tell you. Um, it's there to tell you that it comes from the beginning of the first day until the evening of the seventh day. Right? But when it comes to Shabbat, it doesn't say Unlike Pesach, where it says on the 14th day in the evening, that's when Pesach begins, we never say about Shabbat, it begins Shabbat begins on Shabbat, which means that according to your version of only textual uh, literal textual understanding, Yom HaShabbat has to mean Shabbat day. Because it doesn't say that it starts the previous night. I'm going to skip down. Because the debate continued. Well, obviously we didn't hear this from the Karaites mouth. <laughs> The last two lines. And I mentioned all these things. I wanted to show this Karaite that really he's writing this for you and me. That the Psukim can be interpreted in many different ways. And you Karaites... You've chosen to interpret them in a way that subverts the Masura of tradition. 
have made a conscious decision that you no longer wish to be a part of the tradition of traditional Judaism. That is your choice. But if you so chose, you could look at the very psukim that you're interpreting literally and interpret them in, the, in a way that fits in with our tradition. Says the Ibn Ezra, the last line, Al-Kain, Anachnu tzrichim bedivrei kol ha-mitzvot le-kabalah u-mesorah v'torah she-ba'al-peh ka-asheh hiloti be-sefer hazeh. It's for that reason that we need the augmentation of the rabbinic tradition in order for us to understand the interpretation of the Torah. Because if we run to the literal interpretation, we might choose one and we might choose another unless we have a definitive tradition of how a particular word or phrase or pasuk or concept should be interpreted. We might choose to interpret it in, in a way that subverts normative Judaism, which is what he contends the Karaites were doing. They had chosen a particular path and they were twisting every pasuk to fit in with their version of Judaism. Finally, we've alluded to this already, but there is a big question. And the question is, why was it forbidden to build the Mishkan on Shabbos? It's a good question, right? Was it forbidden to do the Avodah in the Beit HaMikdash on Shabbos? No. They brought carbonot, they had a fire, they, uh, they did all the things on Shabbat that they would do during the week. There was nothing that was missed out. There were certain um, extraneous activities which could be, do could be done before Shabbat, those weren't permitted on Shabbat in the Beit HaMikdash. Otherwise, everything was done in the Beit HaMikdash on Shabbat as it was done during the week. Shechita, everything. So, hmm? Yes. Yeah, on the Shabbos, of course. Good question, right? How is it possible that we know that Malachot were permitted on Shabbat in, in the Beit HaMikdash, but when you built the Beit HaMikdash, you weren't permitted to break Shabbat? How does that work? What's the dynamic? Yeah. No, any melacha that was done to build the mishkan. That's how we identify a melacha. Not to work in it. So what's that? How's that work? All those things which you weren't permitted to do in the construction of the mishkan, you are permitted to do in the service and the worship of the mishkan. How does that work? Music. I thought even what, what they did in the mishkan, you're not allowed to do, like music. No, no, they had instruments. They played instruments. They right. instruments. Not allowed We're not allowed to do it because they did the Mishkan. So why, why is it, was it not possible to do it, to build it? But it is permitted in the service of the Mishkan. It seems to be a contradiction. It's a paradox. If, if it was permitted to do it when the Mishkan was built, why couldn't you do it to build the Mishkan? Surely it's all one and the same thing. So the Meshech Chochma addresses this. And it's source three. Meleches ha-mishkon eno doma l'machshira avoida de loidochu Shabbos. So he uh, um, alludes to what I just said, which is, there's such a thing called machshira avoda. What's machshira avoda? For example, um, chopping wood for the fire. 
You're not allowed to chop wood for the fire in the Mishkan. Why? Because you could chop that wood on Friday. You don't have to chop it on Shabbos. But you're allowed to burn the wood on Shabbos. Why? Because that's for the Avodah of the Beis Amikdosh. You can't do that on Friday. You can't, because if you burn the wood on Friday, it'll be burnt, it'll be gone. But chopping wood. You can start the fire. You can You could, but, but you'll burn the fuel. The fuel will be burnt. They need to constantly replenish the fuel. The wood needs to, is going to burn up. But you can chop the wood before Shabbos. And, you know, v'chaheno v'chaheno. Or any type of thing like that, which could have been done before Shabbos, you weren't permitted to do in the Mishkan on, on Beis HaMikdosh on Shabbos. How? On Shabbos. Well, in very, very cold climates, they, they, they did... Um, create dispensation because if you didn't have a fire, it was it was uh, life threatening. You know, if if you lived in free like you did in, in Russia, in freezing conditions, and you didn't have a fire on Shabbos, it was a it was a life threatening situation. But you know, I'm not sure that you could find a, a you could get a non Jew to light your fire here on Shabbos in Los Angeles. I think that would be stretching it a bit. So he says immediately, don't say that the creation, the formation of the Mishkan, the construction of the Mishkan is the same thing as chopping wood on Friday instead of chopping it on Shabbos. That's not the same at all. Because those machshirin, you could have done them on Friday. You can't have the Mishkan without Shabbos. Right? In other words, when you're constructing the Mishkan, you can't say, I could have done this on Friday. Because that which you did on Friday just brought you to the stage where now you have to do the next thing. Let's say I smelted the metal and now I have to form the whatever it was, the crushing. I couldn't have done that before the metal was smelted. In which case, if I smelted the metal on Friday, I should be able to form the crushing on, on Shabbos. It's not the same as Machshire, where I could have chopped it on Erev Shabbos. No, I'm actually now pushing off that which I need to do to construct the Mishkan. Okay? So he says, that doesn't make any sense. And therefore, it, must, it makes sense to say as follows. The Ba'avoida Hutra Shabbos. When it came to performing the service of the temple, that was permitted, deliberately permitted on Shabbos. Why? Mishum to be Mishkan the Mishkan is a place where the presence of God is imminent in every possible way. He's there. He's there. That's where he is. And what is Shabbos about? Shabbos is a testament. Shabbos bears witness to all those who walked the face of the planet, that God created the world, and he created it ex nihilo. There was nothing there before. God created the world, and on Shabbos we commemorate that. Every single week, on the seventh day of the week, we commemorate the creation of the world, of the universe actually, by God. And that is what we're doing. We are the witnesses to God's creation of the universe. Now, the Avoida, Mor al Hashgochas Hashem Isbarach, the Proteus 
But what is the avoid of the Mishkan? What is the concept of the presence of God in a concentrated form inside the Mishkan and later the Beit HaMikdash? What is that about? It's also related to this idea of God being involved in every element of creation, but a slightly different angle. God is not just some entity that created the universe at the Big Bang and then went to retire and has left it all to its own devices. God is intimately involved in every chemical reaction and every one of the laws of physics as the universe continues to unfold day after day and year after year and millennium after millennium, right? And that concept is what's represented by the Avodah of the Mishkan, and that's also important. Shabbos is important to acknowledge creation. The Mishkan is important to acknowledge his involvement and his imminence now, right? The entire universe um, exists and continues to exist in every second and every minute only through the will of God. Ka'amur, as it says, doesn't say he who made the great lights, talking about the sun and the moon, but he who makes, he who creates. It's in the present. He creates, he continues to create the existence of the sun. Somebody asked me only a month ago, how is it possible that if the sun's burning, they didn't burn up? Okay, he doesn't understand nuclear physics, but it's an incredible thing. You've got this star, which continues to provide energy and light every second, and that's an incredible, it's the source of life for our planet. That is not something that we ascribe to the origins of creation. That is something which is ongoing, and can only happen by through the imminence and the presence of God every second. And that's why we say in our davening, a nice insight into davening, we say it in the brachot before Kriyashima, every single day he renews creation. However, when it comes to the construction of the Mishkan, that doesn't uh, push away or push aside Shabbat. Because before the creation of the Mishkan, that imminence of God, that presence of God, isn't there yet. You can only break Shabbat when you have that other element that needs to be serviced. Because the testimony of the one pushes aside the other. The existence of one pushes aside the other. But when you don't have the Shechina, Shabbat takes precedence. And that, he says, is why the construction of the Mishkan has nothing to do with the service in the Mishkan. The construction of the Mishkan is the work that's going to lead up to enabling the Shechina to exist within the Bnei Yisrael. But until that moment, until the time when the Mishkan has been erected, it's up, 
and the Shekhinah is active within it, Shabbat takes precedence because Shabbat is the main testimony of God's creation of the world, God's original creation of the world, because every week we have to celebrate that and commemorate it. It's only with the existence of the Mishkan and later on the Beit HaMikdash that the Shechina exists in Israel. And all the time that um, the Shechina isn't residing among the Jews, it doesn't push away Shabbat and therefore you cannot construct the Mishkan. So construction of the Mishkan is very different than service in the Mishkan. We'll leave it here for today.